0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. If
1: we do what you're suggesting, people are going to be hurt. This is your home. The miners have no right to force you out. I agree, but fighting, I don't like it either. But at some point you have to stand up for yourselves. How do you know there won't be someone else to terrorize you the next place you go?
0: you know he's right
1: no one has worked harder to build this place than you isn't it worth defending
2: Good morning, London. It's Thursday, June twelfth, twenty fourteen. I'm Bob Metz. and I'm Robert Vaughn, and this is Just Right on CHRW ninety four point nine FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. Not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Welcome to our show today on Election Day. 519-661-3600 is the number to call if you want to join in on our conversation today. Or as always, write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today our subject is not about the election, but certainly has something to do with the results of every election, and that is taxation itself. We're gonna take a big look at taxation. In the second half of the program we'll be entertaining the question is taxation slavery? Or is slavery taxation? <laughs> I don't know. You could look at it both ways. We're going to talk about tax freedom day, which apparently struck us here in Ontario this past Monday and, and I'm gonna kinda of argue there's no tax freedom any day really. And Robert, I understand you are going to investigate the very philosophical issue of of how objectivists would look at taxation. Is that correct? Uh, To the extent that I uh, can. Because of some feedback that we got on this, yeah.
3: That's right, Bob. Last month we received some feedback on show number 334, for those who wish to look it up. It aired back on January 23rd of this year from a person identifying himself only as (laughs) Geekonomist. The show dealt with how to fund a proper federal government, uh, Canadian, and it was a follow-up on show number 161, where I answered the question of how much would a proper Ontario government cost, and how should it be funded? Both of those shows can be found on our website at JustRateMedia.org. Click on the button that says um, All Episodes, and just scroll down to those numbers, 334 and 161, so you can hear um, what I had to say about those two things. Now. The answers I came up with when I crunched the numbers on how much a proper Canadian federal government and an Ontario provincial government would cost was so much, or so little, I should say, that a simple 2% sales tax would fund a proper Ontario government. Now, this was in your original analysis in those previous shows, right? Yes. And a 6.7 percent sales tax would fund a proper Canadian government, and that's given a lot of different um, parameters. And, and even to say that we would we would use the same bureaucracy that we have today, we, we police, and military, and all that would see, receive the same pay and pensions that we have today. So I bet that under a proper government, which I'll define a little later, a proper government, those numbers would come down substantially if a sales tax was at all necessary. Now, the listener, Geekonomist, took issue with our suggestion that a sales tax is, for example, more moral than an income tax, as any use of force by a government is immoral, he said, and that an objectivist would never advocate for any tax. Geekonomist went on in uh, his feedback, which, by the way, I thank him for, um, and gave us a very lengthy um, what should I say, proposal for how to fund... Quite a synopsis, four mm-hmm. pages long. Yeah. yeah, how to fund a proper government. I thank him for that, but unfortunately I don't have the time to go into that today. I'm just going to take him on with his uh, criticism of um, why I would advocate for a uh, a sales tax by a proper government if it was necessary. But here's what uh, Gigonomous had to say, quote... Given that you seem to imply that you both consider such a tax a final solution, that is to say, an end goal, I hope to hear in your feedback that this is not so. For instance, would you consider such a sales tax a temporary step in the direction of a voluntary taxation system that Ayn Rand advocated? If this were the case, then I could agree entirely with what what you say. Yet I can't find such an end goal clearly stated or repudiated." Now, let me first start by saying that the only end goal that I'm personally interested in politically is a free society where force is governed by a proper government. A sales tax as a means of funding it is not a goal, but a mechanism, only one of many possible ways to fund a proper government. The question is, would Ayn Rand suggest that a tax of any sort be a moral way for a proper government to fund itself? I would suggest that she would, if she were alive, which she isn't, so the point is a little moot. (laughs) So let's just take uh, the tact of, would an objectivist, a person who uh, follows the philosophy of Ayn Rand, uh, advocate for such a thing? Now, I would consider myself an objectivist in many ways, um, and I'm going to advocate that, yes, not only would an objectivist find a way to justify a... uh, a taxation to fund a proper government i would even suggest that rand herself has alluded to her support of such a scheme i'm going to start with the usual quotes from rand which might suggest that she would adamantly oppose any taxation but by the hope but i hope to leave you with the impression at the end that she just might or that she would she would um that if she didn't advocate a tax she's wrong mm mm-hmm. Out and out wrong and you know something? Ayn Rand can be wrong. I'll say that up front. Quoting Ayn Rand from her article Government Financing in a Free Society written in nineteen sixty four and printed in The Virtue of Selfishness In a free society payment for government services would be voluntary, unquote also from that same article, quote, the question of how to implement the principle of voluntary government financing, how to determine the best means of applying it in practice, is a very complex one and belongs to the field of the philosophy of law. The task of political philosophy is only to establish the nature of the principle and to demonstrate that it is practical. She went on to say that, quote, only a small part of Of the gigantic network of credit transactions and here I'll uh, say that by that she meant contractual agreements over time in other Mm -hmm. words you pay for a good but you don't get the good until later Uh, only a fraction of those ever end up in court but the entire network is made possible by the existence of the courts and would collapse overnight without that protection this is a government service which people need use, rely upon, and should pay for." So here's Ayn Rand saying that people should pay for these courts, which of course is just. Mm -hmm. Now, I take her use of the word should to mean that any right-thinking person would consider it essential to have their transactions protected by a system of laws and courts in case there is a dispute. Not just the seller, but the purchaser as well. If you wanted to avoid paying the fee and receiving a receipt for the transaction, you do so do so at your own uh, risk and peril. Rand noted that, quote, any program of voluntary government financing is the last, not the first step, on the road to a free society. The last, not the first, reform to advocate. And I'd agree with that. We're really putting the cart before the horse here talking about this.
2: No, I don't think so. <coughs> it's, I, th- I think you have to know where you're going before you can take any steps in that direction.
3: Well, it's true that a lot right? of people would uh, uh, objections that I have seen uh, come to me when I advocate a free society. They would say that, "Well, how are you going to pay for that? Who would pay for the roads?" Is yeah. the old bromide that people throw at you. Who would pay for this? How would how would this happen? They go right to the technical. So I guess you're right. We should. T- there's there's value in talking about this. But I do think it's it's rather premature and academic, but it might it must be said we we may as well discuss. Sometimes I think about this. We may as well discuss how many angels can hit, fit well, on the head of a pin. You know, m- you know, we're so many years, if not generations, away from a truly free society. You were going to say, Bob? I
2: was going to say. Uh- I don't think it's that academic. I think it's a question that's been wrestled with throughout history. I'll be talking about that in the last half. Of oh the show, yes, you were talking about, about how about the that, Romans yeah. uh, handled it, in other countries in the past, and the disasters they've gotten into because of their tax systems. So I think this is very pertinent, and we can learn both from looking at the ideal
3: and the worst examples. We can. Well now of that's exactly and, what we have to distinguish right. here. Remember, I'm talking about, and Rand would be talking about, and G- 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 economists is talking about a proper. Government, not the government we have today. As a matter of fact, not any government that has ever existed, I would consider to be a proper government. It has not existed a bit in part, I mean, uh, in various parts, yeah. yes, here and there. Um, but no, not in, it's never existed. We're talking about how a free society would fund a proper government. So let's get on with this academic discussion, which I enjoy. I suggest that if at some point we do become a free society, i.e. one where the sole function of the government is to protect our life, liberty, and property, then suppose that we are a free society of mostly idiots who do not wish to voluntarily pay a ten transaction fee to cover the costs of that government. Then it became... If it became necessary for that government to raise funds by imposing an excise tax on goods or sales tax on transactions, then it would be acting morally and consistently with objective principles. It would be moral because a proper government is an essential requirement for a free society. Therefore, any act it takes to ensure its survival, I think, can be be said to be moral. Most objectivists I talk to would agree that there are situations where the initiation of force by a proper government is essential to maintain a civilized, peaceful society. And I'll offer two examples. And I wonder if geekonomists would agree with these. The principle of hot pursuit. Now, hot pursuit is defined as, quote, a doctrine that provides that the police may enter the premises where they suspect a crime has been committed without a warrant when delay would endanger their lives or the lives of others and lead to the escape of the alleged perpetrator, Now, an anarchist or a libertarian might suggest that the right of private property is absolute and sacrosanct, and the police cannot enter your property for any reason whatsoever without the consent of the owner. Thinking about this for only a moment leaves us with a lawless society, protected only by keystone cops, Who, while running after a bank robber, have to stop at your front door if the robber runs into your house because you didn't invite them in, you know? Obviously, this is pure lunacy. And if such a strict adherence to your property rights were followed, society would collapse in days. Now, another example where a proper government could use force or initiate the use of force is the power of arrest. It's quite reasonable and demonstrably justifiable that the police have the power to arrest anyone they have sufficient reason to believe has or is in the process of committing a criminal act. This means they have the power to arrest innocent people. If they have sufficient grounds to do so, they may be wrong. But if they have evidence that points to a particular person who may be innocent... They can arrest that person. If someone claims that you broke the law, say a a heinous crime, uh, like a murder, then it's perfectly reasonable for the police to detain or arrest you until such time as the allegation is either confirmed or dismissed by a court of law. Depending on the evidence and the seriousness of the crime, you could very well end up in jail for a considerable amount of time, even if you're innocent in a proper government in a proper free society. It's unfortunate that the innocent man might have to, to undergo that, but this is a necessary and proper initiation of force by a proper government absolutely required to have a free society. You simply would, would can't you? you simply can't wait, Bob, mm-hmm. until a trial is held in absentia if you don't wish to be there and the truth or falsehood of the allegation determined before an arrest is made for the simple fact that if you are indeed the murderer, you could either be free to kill again while the trial is going on or you might leave the country and get away scot-free you know, free to kill again somewhere else. This is a perfectly reasonable um, use, the initiation of force on innocent people in a free society. It's a price that we pay. You were going to say, Bob, sorry.
2: Yeah, I understand what you mean when you say initiation of force. It's like you're taking a proactive um Action towards something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I'd call it initiation, though. I still think it's uh, it's
3: a follow up to the crime that somebody's created. But right? it's, it's not retaliatory. Yeah. Usually, the opposite of the or initiation. Or it's not self defensive. That's either, right. 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 Well, it's defensive in a sense that um, that's the purpose. It, it may be defensive. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I just think yeah, it's a fuzzy word to use
3: there, but I know what you mean. Like, yeah, but the, you know the, something? I think that there are anarchists uh, and libertarians out there, mm-hmm. and probably even objectivists. Who might take Rand when she says that uh, uh, government, should, a proper government, should not initiate force against people? Well, you know that's a huge blanket statement, and there are. And I'm just trying to point out that there are uh, reasonable grounds under which a proper government can use force, even against uh, innocent people in that society. With that, let's just take a little break, and I'll continue on the other side.
0: He saw me. Which way? I'm not certain. You have no jurisdiction here.
1: Follow me.
0: Your warrant is valid, but you won't be able to take it. Not for at least four hours. I'm not a thief. I'm not a smuggler. I never was. Do you know how I've survived the last 20 years? How I fed my family? I haul. Spent warp injector casings. Not a very popular occupation, but a necessary one. The doctor on Andoria says that my hemolytic cell count is over 3,000. You don't find too many old men hauling spent injector casings. The information that I was given says that you buy high-grade biotoxins and sell them to anyone who will meet your price. If all of the ministry's reports about me were true, I could easily shapeshift and slip out of these restraints or sprout wings and fly to my ship. Why should she believe a fugitive and not her own government? Because her government sent 109 agents to Agaron 30 years ago, and they want all 109 accounted for, right or wrong, dead or alive. If you're innocent, I'm sure you'll be given a chance to defend yourself. Well, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not returning when I was told to. I'm innocent of selling biotoxins, but I'm guilty of being a fugitive. But I don't deserve to go to prison, and I don't deserve to be shot. We're here to take you to Vulcan. No one's going to shoot you. What if Jocelyn wasn't a smuggler? What if he was innocent? Then it wouldn't have mattered whether he intended to use that weapon or not.
3: That doesn't make any sense. What's Mano's been telling you?
0: Manos' ship was filled with injector case nothing else. He has a family. Our scans should be able to confirm if he's dying of radiation poisoning. What's he been telling you?
4: You're a peaceful man.
0: Ironic, isn't it? Burning to death on a frozen moon. But I'd rather die here than be brought back and punished
1: for crimes I never committed. DePaul. Your mission is to return him to Vulcan, not determine whether he's guilty or innocent.
3: You know, people are arrested all the time for crimes they didn't commit, and I'm just trying to illustrate that that is a necessary um, evil, if you will in a free society, that that we arrest people if there's sufficient grounds who are warned, determined by a judge, to arrest them. But, you know, in our society today, we have a jail called the Elgin Middlesex Detention Center just in the south end of the city, which is a hellhole. And a proper society would not have such conditions in a jail. They would treat um, anybody arrested, even if they're convicted, um, I I would say with respect and not let them get killed and raped and brutally uh, brutalized, Um, in a a jail such as EMDC that we have here today. So always keep in mind that when I'm talking about a proper government, it's not the government we have today and not the conditions that we have today.
2: I was just going to say that uh, you you referred to the term um, necessary evil in regards to arresting an innocent person. I don't know that it's an evil. I think it's just an error. (laughs) You know, if you arrest the wrong person, it's a mistake. Uh, You did Um, it by... Proper means yes. by proper yes. um, process, you know, and if it works all properly, then the person will, of course, be let free.
3: That's what they call due process. Right. Yeah, you know, if it becomes necessary to impose a tax on transactions to fund a proper government, then I suggest such initiation of force as hot pursuit or the power of arrest on, um, you know, be, is justified, and and you know, the imposition of a tax. On businessmen which would be a a force is justifiable as justifiable as the doctrine of hot pursuit and and power of rest this brings us to identify the nature of a proper government as opposed to an improper one I've I've talked about it before Uh, and the checks and balances necessary to ensure that any taxation which may be necessary to fund it are not abused that's important a government by its very identity and nature is an instrument of force today It is quite evident that our governments are acting quite improperly. They are not designed to protect our rights, quite the contrary. They are designed, as progressive conservative Premier Ernie Eves said, to redistribute wealth. An improper government uses that force to confiscate wealth and and restrict freedom. As such, it would be, as Rand said, a person's moral right to refuse to pay taxes if if they can get away with it. Unfortunately, even Rand herself paid taxes, but as she said, quote, at the point of a gun. But a proper government with the proper constitutional checks and balances over its use of force would only use force to provide for the necessary conditions and institutions to establish and maintain a free society. And while it might sound contradictory or even hypocritical that that might involve the collection of, for example, an excise tax or sales tax, but never, by the way, an income tax. An income tax is used simply for wealth redistribution and penalizes productivity. Totally immoral in every, every most, respect. Most disgusting tax ever invented. Yeah. But an indirect excise or sales tax would be for the general welfare, to use the American phrase, of all the people. It would not be a tax to rob Peter in order to pay Paul, but a tax to benefit both Peter and Paul equally. Contrast such an indirect tax to provide for a government for all, with our current progressive taxation on income, where those who earn more pay more but receive the same or less government services in return, a blatant injustice, and Rand would never, or an objectivist, would never advocate for an income tax of any sort for whatever reason, at least in my estimation. I certainly wouldn't. Although in the virtue of selfishness, Rand was clear that the funding of a proper government would be voluntary, her position on taxation by a proper government isn't entirely clear. You know, she was once asked, quote, how can you advocate, uh, oh, this was a question posed to her, how can you advocate increased defense spending given your opposition to taxes? Now, her reply was, quoting, in general, I oppose taxes, but so long as we have a system of taxation to finance the government, those who don't want to pay for defense, if they're honest and then have integrity, should leave the country immediately. <laughs> By what right do you live in this country if you aren't willing to spend money for a primary necessity, protection against military conquest? And anyone who denies that we, are, uh, that we need defense today is a candidate for the asylum, unquote. Now, that was said in 1981 at a and a she gave at the Ford Hall Forum. Um, I believe that if it could be demonstrated that a proper government could not be funded voluntarily, Rand would agree that a small tax on transactions may be required to fund it. And I've already indicated that it would be small indeed. Just imagine getting rid of every single tax in this country, provincially and federally, and even uh, municipally. And, and and change them with a small percentage on transactions to fund a proper government, as I have already demonstrated that you can do. I mean, it would be. I don't think anybody would object. Or very, or perhaps only the anarchists or libertarians might object to that. You know, Greekonomus asks, what happens to me if? Under the Metzvon tax system, <laughs> I pay my grocer in cash. What happens if I pay him in cases of bear? Am I breaking the law? Do I lose my freedom? Do I lose my right to litigate? Well, the answer is that when it's enforceable, the seller is no longer permitted to conduct business. You 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 told me this, Bob, and I agree with you. Sales, even the question about and if you if you pay him with a case of beer. Well, if
2: you can't just walk into a store and offer barter to some guy who's not set up for it. If he's accepting cases of beer, then he's set up for that. Yeah, his business is working on that. He's probably collecting taxes or paying them in some way. There's no getting around that, you know. But you can't just come in willy nilly and say, "Well, I'll pay you in cash" or "I'll trade you." That's that's barter system talk. Yeah. That's
3: not a, a, a sophisticated economy at all. No, that is not a sophisticated economy. What we're talking about here are your future shops, your your Sears, your Walmarts, things like that. Those people... You know, stores will, that use money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those sophisticated <laughs> yeah, stores <right. laughs> want the system of government to be able to protect them against theft and coercion and fraud and shoplifting. They want that, and I think that they'd be quite willing to pay for it. As a matter of fact, they're quite willing to pay for it now, although at a point of a gun, so... There you go. Anyway, sales tax or excise tax, which, by the way, I prefer over sales tax, is collected by the seller, not the purchaser. So the purchaser is never on the hook to the law in a proper government for the seller's refusal to collect and remit the tax. A seller who collects the tax but fails to remit it is, first of all, guilty of fraud. He's basically saying, I'm going to charge you this tax, but instead of remitting it, he pockets it. That's fraud. That's theft. A seller who neither collects nor remits the tax. Tax would most likely fall under the radar of a, of, of, of a proper government, much like today's extremely large black market. Black markets usually involve labor, not goods, and they usually involve small businessmen, where you might be able to pay them in a case of beer, like like a roofer or a handyman or a shoe repair shops. Now a large business, like you know your Walmart's future shops, Best Buy Sears, you name them, would be fools not to collect and remit a tax to a proper government which is essential to them to mediate the many disputes that they have with their customers. The smaller guy will undoubtedly get away with not paying if they didn't want to or didn't have to. As many black market tra- transactions are often found out, they will and should be prohibited from selling their wares. That's the ultimate. So in other words, to answer your question, yes, you would be breaking the law if you, um, if in a proper government it was set up so that an excise tax or sales tax was the way to fund it and and you didn't uh, uh, agree with that, yeah, you'd break in the law. And whatever the fines were is up to uh, <laughs> what a society sure. determines at that, po- that point in time. You know, there is one large industry that, that
2: is the black market and doesn't pay taxes. Hmm. The drug, the drug industry. The there you drugs. go. There Perfect you go. Example, an example and, of, and look of at what it causes. And that's one
3: of the big impetus to the drug industry is
2: that they get away without having to well, pay. Well, of course, tax. if a
3: drug pusher can't can't go to a court of law and say, "Well, look, I, I sold this guy an ounce of heroin, but he didn't pay me. Well, I'd well, like redress." Right, well, you know, you can't that's do this. So what happens? People get shot. People get mm-hmm. killed. Crime, fr- crime happens. So anyway, you know, it, it's just not going to happen that way. I don't think. You know, even even today, I mean, I was in business, and when I set up my business, it was small to begin with, and I think that uh, I didn't have to collect the GST at the time, it was an HST then, uh, Under uh, unless I made more than $30,000 oh, in yeah, transactions. Yeah. Over 30000 then I was forced to c- collect it. Uh, not an onerous task, but anyway, I did it. So to conclude, Ayn Rand might say, and I paraphrase, uh, paraphrase here from her quote on using taxes for the military, which I've already said, quote, those who don't want to pay for police in a proper court system, if they're honest and have integrity, should leave the country immediately. By what right do you live in this country if you aren't willing to spend money for a primary necessity, protection against theft and fraud? By what right, indeed? So I'll leave it there, Bob. Excellent. Looking forward to your talk about the history of taxation.
2: Learned a lot of things looking into this. I always do when I when I get into this subject. I like to get into areas that we haven't discussed before. We'll have to review a few of the basic principles, but there's some interesting history here regarding uh, just disasters in tax planning in the past and the great successes, which seem to be along the lines that we're talking of right now. Take a break now, and we'll be back after this. I'm
0: a very patient man, Tipo. I was simply waiting for you to leave, but the Captain's curiosity has put an end to that. Would you please lower your weapon? I don't want to harm Tipal, Captain, but I will. Those are violent words for a peaceful man. At the moment, I'm a man who needs to survive. There's a locker right next to you. I want you to both put your weapons down, and then walk into it. You won't be hurt. What about her? To Paul is my guarantee that the two of you will walk quickly and quietly into the lock. Please. The locking code is 1661. There's a very specific tone when it's entered properly. You're not going to shoot me, T'Pol. You're not going to kill another innocent man. Captain?
1: Why did you want me here?
0: Because I trust you.
1: Then trust me. You were sent to apprehend him, not to judge him.
0: I think I know why he was so nervous about us firing at him while he was over here. Look at this. Biotoxins. If one of our weapons had struck this. I guess he was hauling more than injector casings after all.
1: I guess he was.
4: The days when everyone was on the snow white kick scallywags and roustabouts had an easy time of it your money or your life oh that's easy you can take my wife not your wife your life it's funny my way but take my purse statistics showed that crime was rampant especially in a tiny kingdom known as Easy Pickens. The people there used to set their watches by the number of robberies that occurred. What time do you have? Uh, Let me see. The blacksmith is being held up, so it must be 11.15. This might have gone on indefinitely had it not been for the arrival of a jolly gentleman on a black donkey whose name was Mule. Mule! His name was Skylar Sugg, and his hobby was preventing crime. Your money or your wife? (laughs) appeared as if by magic, and the robber was thwarted. What's more, Mr. Sugg spent the next seven days in wielding his shillelagh in the cause of justice. Citizens of easy pickings, we owe a great deal to Skyler Sugg. It comes to $43.12. He has not only cleaned out the town, but he's cleaned out the town treasury. Sugg opened a tiny but adequate detective agency and proceeded to solve any and all mysteries. I lost my pet cow, Mr. Sugg. You'll find him inside the counter at the butcher's store at 89 cents a pound. He's on special too.
0: Somebody's been stealing eggs from our chicken house, Mr. Sugg. Oh, sorry, I didn't
2: see you eating your breakfast.
4: Be with you as soon as I finish these coddled eggs. And there's no doubt of it, fellow villagers. Skyler Sugg is our man of the year. Yay! I don't know what to say, Mr. Mayor. Yay!
2: (laughs) Just goes to show you that you know you have to pay the guy who's saving you from the crooks, even if he's a bit of a crook himself. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny Rocky and Bullwinkle clip. Uh, you know, according to the Fraser Institute's annual Tax Freedom Day campaign, in 2014, Tax Freedom Day arrived on June 9th this past Monday, as opposed to, for example, in 2003 when it was June 3rd. Meaning we've gained a few days of less freedom to taxes and that indicates that the tax rate at least is moving towards consuming more and more of each Canadian taxpayer's income. The average family, according to the Institute's report, pays $43,000 annually, federal, provincial, local taxes, which uh, in taxes, sorry, which if divided by 12 on a monthly basis, works out to $3,583 per month. That's a pretty expensive bill to pay. Amazing. When I, 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 I almost look at that and I say, well, that's that's kind of unreal. I mean, that's four times what I <laughs> even need to live on, mostly. <laughs> uh, and then they talk about, you know you hear people talking about value for your tax dollar. Are you getting value for your tax dollar? And I think that's almost a non sequitur with regard to consumer items. I mean... Um, value for a tax dollar as if there is some separate value in being forced to, to, to spend some money on something rather than things that you buy and support voluntarily. I think the proper question would be, is there value in your education dollar? Is there value in your health care dollar? These are the things you're buying with your money. It's not a tax dollar, right? It's what is it being spent on? The taxes is a means of, of it being raised. There's no value in that in the sense of your consumption, Right the consumption comes down in in the product you're buying and or your welfare dollar or your road and maintenance dollar or your water supply dollar that's where you want to see value and generally we find in most cases that when we're looking at services you get a better value when you have a choice when you can choose between two or more options and that's how value is created if you only have one choice the question of value is a moot point it doesn't matter now of course When we talk of taxation and and government in general, we have to deal with the elephants in the room. And the elephants in the room are war, crime, and basic law and order, and from civil to contract to criminal. Just as our opening uh, clip today from uh, Star Trek Voyager indicated, you know, your home is worth defending, the things that you work for. That is the primary necessity to which Ayn Rand was speaking when she said, We need government, and we need to pay that government to make sure that we can be secure in our possession of our possessions, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. So, in order to have peace, a country must first be capable of waging war. And that's an absolute fact, if necessary. And that means governing the use of force in such a way that you get peace, not war, in such a way that you'll get law and order and not crime and disorder. The Roman Empire was among the earliest civilizations that understood this principle, though certainly not in the terms we might discuss it today. Since it was necessary to have a force by which one can govern, it was also necessary to assure that the taxes necessary to support such force were also paid. And I'm going to be quoting a lot from this book. This is a great book, one of the best ones on taxation. It's uh, Charles Adams' f- uh, Fight, Flight, and Fraud, The Story of Taxation, a complete history of it. Wonderful book. And um, this is out of the early Republic, Phase I, which was the citizens' war tax era. And he writes that governors were sent out from Rome with dictatorial powers backed up by the legions who were stationed in every province the armies of rebellious provinces were dismantled. This new technique secured Roman exploitation of colonial subjects for hundreds of years. The threat of legions marching out of Rome to chastise a rebellious colony, which was a system of Assyria, was not anywhere as effective as the presence of legions stationed in every province as permanent garrisons. There was also an element of fairness in the Roman tribute system, unlike the practices of other empires in the past, The Romans usually did not alter the tax system or tax burdens of a newly acquired territory. If the poll taxes were customary, they would continue. If there'd been a harvest tax based on one-tenth of production, then that would continue. Local tax farmers would not be put out of business. The rationale for paying taxes to Rome was sound. Rome provided legions that brought peace and order to a world fraught with danger. It was only fair for the provinces to pay for the maintenance of these beneficial military forces. Roman tribute was a small price to pay, and what do you suppose that price was? What do you think the rate of taxes? Was oh, through? you've already, you already told me. So I know. Well, it, you know what? It's amazing. It worked out to the same percentage that you worked out in mm-hmm. when you said, "What would you have if you had a basic government?" It was from two to five percent, yep. depending where you lived. Now I disagree a bit with Charles Adams when he says it was only fair. I would call it just. It was right. It was just. It was equitable. I would say know? it was moral. Yes, it, to the extent that that's what they were doing—keeping the trade routes open, keeping them from pirates and mm-hmm. other, you know, thieves and that kind of thing. So, now I've always argued that, you know, voluntary taxes do exist. It sounds like a, an oxymoronic term, but those are sales taxes, and and the reason is that no one's going to come after you if you refuse to buy a goods or service of any sort. That's right. right? That's right. And and. And the fact is that such taxes are put into the price of whatever you're buying. They might be showing separately. That doesn't matter. But they're included, as with labor, with uh, overhead, with all the other costs that creating a certain product uh, necessitates to get it into your hands. Now, one could almost make one's case for sales and consumption taxes on the basis of its alternatives alone. Just as when Winston Churchill quipped that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time, Similarly, one could say sales taxes are the worst form of government funding except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. Well said. You know, and uh, by the way, it should be noted that when Churchill made that comment, he made it after he lost power and was defeated in an election. So it was a bit of bitterness behind it, mm-hmm. but it became a very famous saying. And one of the worst forms of of the worst type of government financing is referred to as the devil's tax system by Charles Adams, author of Fight, Flight, and Fraud. And he writes, The revenue system that finally evolved out of the taxing powers granted to the French monarch in the Hundred Years' War was everything a good tax system should not be. It was a system that produced the greatest amount of viciousness between man and man, between man and state. It teaches us much about taxation and the evils bad taxation will produce, not only the injustices of government, but in the atrocities angry taxpayers are inclined to commit. We never <laughs> think of that side of the equation, right? The name "ancient regime" refers to ancient regime. Sorry, refers to the social and political order of France before the French Revolution of 1789. Historians have often remarked that it is not easy to understand this period of history. The French monarch is said to have been absolute. Actually, the French monarchy was anything but absolute. The mere suggestion by the crown of a need for tax increases was enough to produce a revolt and end the life of some innocent tax collectors. There is no doubt, however, that Louis Fourteenth did boast about his absolute power. But it, is, but it is doubtful if even he believed it. One thing is certain, the French people didn't believe it. The so-called absolutism of the French monarchy was only a façade. The tile, T-A-I-L-L-E, usually a land and wealth tax, became an ordinary annual assessment after the Hundred Years' War, fluctuating with the king's military needs. It could have been an equitable form of taxation if it had been applied to the kingdom as a whole. (laughs) Listen to this. Unfortunately, the nobility and clergy and even some of the cities and provinces were exempt or had reduced rates. For some, it was a land tax. For others, it applied to all wealth. This inequity... Prompted one minister to blame most of the ills of the kingdom on the, on that tax, which he said left one tenth of the people beggars, five tenths next to beggars, three tenths overtaxed workers, and one tenth in modest comfort. Hmm. By the eighteenth century, this tax was called the peasants' tax because most everyone else had found some way to avoid it. <laughs> so there you go; the poor people get stuck with it all the time, right? They do. And of course, we've talked about the various forms of taxation. Um, You know, economists, he says, like to classify taxes as progressive, proportionate, or regressive. We've discussed this before. We've also discussed direct and indirect. I don't want to get into that part. Mm -hmm. But a tax is progressive if the rich pay a larger percentage than others, proportionate if the percentage is the same, and regressive if the poor pay a larger percentage than the rich. Income taxes are ostensibly progressive because of graduated rates. Sales customs and real property taxes are proportionate. The rates are the same for everyone. Poll taxes and license fees are regressive. The fixed amount takes a larger percentage of the wealth of the poor than of the rich. Now, of course, that doesn't make any one of these good or bad. That's not the, the criteria, but these are just categories of taxes.
3: Well, you can ask Margaret Thatcher if a poll tax was good oh, or bad. Oh, boy, yes, yeah, she learned about <laughs> that one, didn't she? That's why she was kicked out. But, tax. but the
2: first thing we hear about this is that sales taxes are proportionate. They favor neither the rich nor the poor. Right, a, a true sense of democratic equality, if you will. But Adams makes a very interesting observation about government services in the following pack, uh, passage. He writes, The early Roman Republic required little taxation because it operated with free labor. The army, which is always the most expensive operation in every society, was a citizen's army, composed of property owners who served for one year without pay. talked about this at great length on a previous show. They even provided their own uniforms and equipment. This patriotic spirit produced a marvelous fighting force, which defeated all who opposed it and catapulted Rome into the center of the civilized world. All of a sudden we have that word civilization, you know. Mm -hmm. The spirit of volunteer free public service inspired all government offices. Even the magistrates served the city without pay. It is difficult to overemphasize the importance of this ancient practice especially in our age, when no one seems willing to lift a finger for the government without a fat paycheck. The ideal way to reduce heavy taxation is to instill in all citizens a spirit of unselfish service for the public good. It is not necessary to curtail public programs and services. If they're offered free, I guess you don't have to, do you? What is necessary is the curtailment of the spirit of gain and profit that infects public servants and contractors. And now I consider that a novel suggestion, but working for nothing, I think that's going a bit far. I don't think it'd be too practical today. But working at the low end of the pay scale rather than at the top end of the pay scale with pensions and benefits, that might be more of an ideal uh, for the average government worker. Adams goes on to explain that early Rome did have a sales tax of various forms which ranged from a low of 2% in Spain to a high of 5% in Sicily, Africa, and Albania. There you go. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to reiterate what Rand said on taxation, the principle of voluntary government financing rests on the following premises. One, that the government is not the owner of the citizen's income and therefore cannot hold a blank check on that income, and that the nature of the proper government services must be constitutionally defined and delimited, leaving the government no power to enlarge the scope of its services at its own arbitrary discretion. Consequently, the principle of voluntary government financing regards the government as the servant, not the ruler of the citizens. As an agent who must be paid, note that, right, Mm -hmm. for his services, not as a benefactor whose services are gratuitous, who dispenses something for nothing. Sales taxes will fill the bill on each of these requirements. They do not affect income, and they assure that our agency of government gets paid for its legitimate services so that's just my quick thing on that I want to talk about uh... the issue of taxes and slavery next but first i think we could listen in on this and have a little smile from pat O'Neill, who's talking about his own take on slavery and taxation
1: but what here's what we do because here's what black people are, are are trying to do to 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 create wealth i'd like to become a wealthy people Even though they'll be poor there'll be some that are super wealthy but see People talk reparation. All right. I could get killed for this, but I'm going to say it. It ain't even funny either. It's definitely not going to be funny to white people. (laughs) (laughs) Or Latinos, or Asians, or Jews, anybody. Here's what reparation should be. Simple. Because, look, we are all slaves right now. Um, We work so that we can pay a debt to the bank that the government got money from that's that they're borrowing not on our behalf So we are paying someone else's debt. So we are slaves to the government who is a slave to the bank, okay? I think black people as reparations don't get we can't get a pocket full of money. It makes no sense. If you understand money, you shoot me in the head just for even thinking that shit. Cause what that'll do, it'll cause wealth. Here to will do. The people who are going to do what they were gonna do with the 100,000 that we would all get, are still gonna do that. Got more money. More sneakers <laughs> Idea. We all already have been slaves. Federal income tax is slavery. So I'm just saying, we're double slaves. (laughs) (laughs) They let us have enough to pay for our plantation hut that we live in (laughs) that they always threatening to take. (laughs) We are gonna take it. Why? So hard, why? They don't do this. That's everybody. White people, too. Why? <laughs> uh,
2: boy, there's so much truth to that, and I bet you that's how a lot of people feel, you know, especially folks on the edge with their property taxes hanging on to their homes.
3: Especially elderly on fixed incomes, oh. when property taxes uh, continue to rise and their income doesn't and they're forced out of their homes, mm. it's an injustice and it's I can see why people would call it slavery. Oh sure. But you know, you hear the word slavery used in so many well, allegorical
2: ways, economic slavery, you know debt slavery, slave to debt. Uh, you know To say that one is an economic slave because they're in debt is to say that one can be a slave to oneself. Since whatever debt was incurred was incurred due to a benefit that the so-called slave received and accepted consensually, right? So how can that be slavery? Economic slavery in that concept, in, in that context, is an anti-concept. It's kind of like saying self-censorship. You know, like a censor might—you're not being censored. You're making a choice, mm-hmm. right? And. Um, You know, nations themselves become economic slaves, the consequence of their philosophically um, socialist beliefs and redistributive politics long before their debts become unsustainable. Interesting, in his book, um, Fight, Flight, and Fraud, Charles Adams' comments on slavery, he said, "...ancient civilization ran on human power more than horsepower. The moral issue was never much of a problem. The economic bond of the slave was recognized by the Jews and early Christians." Slaves, like tribute, were part of the spoils of war. Taxes touched every facet of slavery. Most slaves were sold at an auction, which incurred a 2% to 5% sales tax. There's that that same number again. When the slaves arrived in port, there was a customs tax. When a slave was freed, there was a 5% tax on his value. Slaves were given a reduced rate for poll taxes, similar to the United States Constitution, which valued a slave for direct taxation at three-fifths of a free man. To give the reader some idea of the size of the slave trade, the free port of Delos off the coast of Greece could handle as many as 10,000 slaves at a time. The great commercial facilities of the Isle of Rhodes could handle even more. Taxes on slavery were a major source of revenue for all governments, Pirates were the chief slave traders during times of peace. The crew of any vessel seized by pirates was a regular part of the cargo. The task of pr- proving one's right to freedom was extremely difficult. Once a person was caught up in the channels of slavery, I would think so. Of course, a lot of this comes down to definitions, and I think we have to look at that. Um, Funken Wagnalls describes a slave as a person over, over whose life, liberty, and property someone else has absolute control or a person in mental or moral subjugation to habit, vice, or influence. (laughs) Here is the best one I like. This is from the Oxford Concise Dictionary of Politics, written by Ian McLean and Alistair Macmillan, and I disagree with a lot of the definitions in their book, but I like this one. Uh, Described very much like freedom is described by John McMurray as a condition. Right? They describe slavery as the condition in which life, liberty, and fortune of an individual is held within the absolute power of another, The English word derives from Slav because Slavs were frequently slaves of the Dark Ages. The first challenges to slaveholding arose in ancient Greece, and Aristotle produces a somewhat embarrassed justification of slavery, arguing that some people are slaves by nature. As has often been remarked, the Movement for American Independence produced a Declaration of Independence with its claim that, quote, "...all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." But the declaration was written by uh, the Virginian slaveholder Thomas Jefferson, who never freed his own slaves. First the slave trade, and then slavery was abolished in the British Empire in America during the 19th century through a combination of principled argument, political advantage, and the Union victory in the American Civil War, 1861-5. Slavery is still found in a number of countries today, of course. And... From the Universal World Reference Encyclopedia, slavery, in the full sense of the term, implies that the slave is the property of or at the disposal of another who has a right to employ or treat him as he pleases. but the system has been subjected to innumerable limitations and modifications. Slavery arose at an early period of the world's history out of the ancient or out of the accident of capture in war. Savages, in place of massacring their captives, found it more profitable to keep them in servitude. All the ancient oriental nations, of whom we have many any records, including the Jews, had their slaves. The Hebrews were authorized by their law to possess slaves, not only of other races, but of their own nation. Then there's an interesting oh, uh, distinction between Greek slavery and Roman slavery. Under Greek slavery, he writes, None of the Greek philosophers considered the condition of slavery objectionable on the score of morals. Aristotle defends its injustice on the ground of a diversity of race dividing mankind into the free and the slaves by nature, while Plato only desires that no Greeks should be made slaves. (laughs) 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 A little more narrow interest there. Of course, Plato was Greek. Yes. (laughs) Yes, of course. And then Roman slavery. Now, this is interesting. I did not know this. This differed from the particulars of slavery in Greece. This is from Rome. All men were considered by the Roman jurists to be free under natural law. Did you know that? But slavery was regarded as a state contrary to natural law, but agreeable to the law of nations. <laughs> 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 so, so they kind of knew that there was something wrong with it and, uh, you know, just morally unacceptable. Uh, just as we wind up the show, too, I just wanted to, I saw this article in the, in the May 3rd, 30th Free Press, Income commodity taxes cut benefit all and the, and it talks about how um, they've just proven that tax cuts benefit everyone and how the Harper tax cuts have um, Improved all these things, saying th- saying what we're saying, basically. But I want to know why they're saying there have been any tax cuts when the Fraser Institute is telling us that Tax Freedom Day came six days, six days later. Exactly. I yes. can't re- reconcile those things. They the take things. away with one hand yeah. and give with another, I suppose. So, you know, one of those mysteries I can't really solve. You never know whose stats to actually believe. But that's it for today. And today is Election Day, or as some would say, it's the day that the slaves get to pick their new master. <laughs> 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 and uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Us? Is that what we'll be saying tomorrow? Uh, I hope not. But we'll be back next week to c- continue our journey in the right direction. We hope you'll join us. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white.
1: Under the clothes, everything will be alright. But well, here's the here's the reparations. I'm a backup since federal income tax is slavery and we are all slaves and reparations is an apology for slavery the the original slavery that we're talking about black people should be exempt (laughs) from federal income tax